All right, let's, um, we're going to conclude Hebrews 11 tonight. Woohoo! It's only taken us, what, four or five months? Hebrews 11, so if you'd open up, uh, we're going we're gonna to start at verse 32, but I'm going to refresh us again by reading, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But without faith, it is impossible, verse 6, to please God, for he, com- he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder. Let me say that again, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's, he's not pernicious. He doesn't, he doesn't wait to say, you screwed up, I'm going to dump on you. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we're going to seek him in times where it's hard to find him. Uh, it almost seems as though... Yeah, you can't hear him. And uh, one of the reasons why I asked John to come forward is uh, I know that feeling. And and uh, you're pouring out every day and the connection to receive from the Lord when you're crying out to him for something particular on your behalf and you're watching others get blessed and you're wondering why this isn't happening over here and, and life becomes confusing and a little daunting and a little overwhelming and the demands and the needs don't change. And so you, you, you seek refreshment, and that's where faith comes in. And, and sometimes we succeed, and sometimes we fail, but God is always faithful. And the thing that I'm so blessed about tonight, especially as we take a look at uh, starting with verse 32, is, this is cool, before you read, verse 32 begins this uh, listing of a hall of faith of the biggest screw-ups on the face of the earth. And I'm so glad God put him in, because there's hope for everybody that's here tonight. Amen. And so um, he, he goes through this list of folks that we almost look at and we go, I, I just don't see how I could ever obtain to that. I can't fathom the faith of, of Abraham. I can't fathom the faith of, of these, you know, patriarchs and matriarchs. I can't fathom the faith of Sarah calling her husband Lord in the midst of all that. I can't fathom those type of things. And then um, God goes through that and he shows the frailties of each of these folks in the hall of faith. But then he gets to this this island of lost toys, this, this group of misfits. And uh, so we'll pick up at verse 32. Follow along with me as I read. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also David, and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. And look at this part. I love this. We're tempted as though somehow being sawn in two and being tempted are equal or being stoned or mocked is equal to being tempted. It is. You know, one of the greatest, and I want to just focus on this briefly, and we'll do it a little bit more later, one of the greatest struggles in the midst of trial uh, where you want to quit is, you know, if if somebody were going to point a gun to my head and said, renounce Jesus or die, I I could do that. I could die for the Lord. I I really believe I could. But the greatest struggle for me is in the midst of the trial, I want to check out. And and we, 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 we fall prey to those sins that easily beset us. And we, we go to that place where, listen, I know the sin, 
I, I know the return on investment. I know what I'm going to get with this. There's going to there's, there's be a, um, a moment of respite and then misery that follows. But I'm going to take this even though I know this is coming. And then that has consequences because wherever that temptation picks you up, it leaves you further back than where you started. And, and you're familiar with it. Sin is easy for us. And so we fall prey to that temptation. This is one of the greatest struggles. Listen to me. This is one of the greatest struggles when you're going through a trial of faith is temptation. It is equal to mocking. It's equal to scourging. It's equal to being sawn asunder. Those are things that you can look at the enemy and say, they're coming after me. But the temptation is so subtle. And we tend to check out and find ourselves unfaithful in the midst of the trial. So they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, meaning they were completely destitute, they had the clothing of of sheer poverty, Um, they were afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. It's interesting, the world was not worthy. And, and what that means is these folks were so precious in the sight of the Lord that they were almost not even worthy in his estimation to to be in this earth because they were they were received so brutally. These were folks that honored the Lord in the midst of trial, expressing the faithfulness of God. The world responded by destitution, torment, persecution, attack, scourgings, beatings. And, and, and here they're beating on the person like Christ um, that, that is there for their benefit. They, they came to speak the truth. They came to serve. They came to set the captives free. And what they got in response was uh, they, they were brutalized. And so the Lord looks at them and says, they're, they're not even worthy of this world. The world doesn't even understand or appreciate what I've given them in these folks. And, and the trial that they're going through that I would consider, this is a gift to the world. And yet, what, what did we do with the greatest gift? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what did we do with the greatest gift God's ever given us? We, we crucified him. Before we crucified him, we mocked him. We spit on him. We ridiculed him. You know, I didn't do it. Well, we would have had we been there. And every time we rejected him, we've done that. We've been responsible for those types of things and taking the name of the Lord in vain and, and rejecting him when, when he purchased us with his blood and then we reject his authority in our life. And so the scripture says that the world wasn't worthy of these folks to whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. They, nobody would give them shelter. They, you know, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And, and that was his life. He never owned anything. And yet he changed the entirety of the world and we're all consumed with our, our possessions. And, and yet the Lord came and never had a thing. And when he died, he left nothing for the most part. Verse 39, all these things having obtained a good testimony through what? Let's try that again. And all these having obtained a good testimony through what? What is faith? We've been through this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They were operating on behalf of a kingdom the world couldn't comprehend. And I'll tell you, there are times where you wonder, is it worth it? And it says that they obtained a good testimony through faith. They did not receive the promise. They, they never saw the crucifixion of Christ. They never saw the resurrection of Christ. They were hoping for a Savior who was to come. They never even saw that. We have that as history. We have that as testimony. They had to look forward to it and never saw it. They knew it was coming. And they did this by faith in something that was going to occur as opposed to us having something that already did occur. The tomb is empty. We're celebrating Easter. And, and they, they, they received this promise. 
It says, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And what the Lord is saying is, he provided something better for us in the cross. They didn't have that. They saw that perfected in our lives. And so when the author of Hebrews is writing this, he's saying all these folks went through every aspect that we're describing and some succeeded and some failed, but they had a good testimony based on faith. And even each one of these that was listed as we go through Samson and Jephthah and, 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 and the like of all of these folks, we're going to see that, uh, that they, they did fail, but they had a testimony. And so we're going to take a look at some of these folks. Uh, let's pick up at verse 32. What more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also David and Samuel and the prophets. Um, Gideon is in Judges 6 and 7. And uh, the story with Gideon is he was, he was called of the Lord and he was the least and he was of the smallest tribe. And, and when God called him, he didn't believe the Lord and, and uh, he doubted God's word to him. And he wanted, he said, you know, put the fleece out and make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And well, okay, Lord, now make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And, and he kept testing the Lord before he'd move forward. And he repeatedly asked for confirmation. So he struggled in faith. And God called him. And even when he did step out in faith to take on the enemies of God's people, his father still struggled. And, and here he stood in opposition to idol worship. And he stood in opposition to uh, um, um, a group of people that were, were greater armed and, and more equipped than any of the, the inhabitants of Israel. And he steps forward in faith. But even in stepping forward in faith, Gideon struggled. He questioned God. And I'll just ask the question tonight. Anybody question the Lord in the midst of a trial? Or anybody question the Lord in the midst of a calling upon your life? That's a good one. You know, I, I was sharing with a couple of folks today. I, I, um, we're in the midst of getting our house ready to sell, and, and uh, Michelle and, and Natasha were up, and they were working. And, you know, I did a couple of honeydews, ran to the store, but for the most part, I could not function today. And I, I literally laid in bed. And it was, you know... You would look at me and go, that guy's just absolutely lazy. Well, granted, I imagine. But I'll just tell you, it wasn't a restful time. I was battling. I was going through an unbelievable... I don't even know what to describe to you what was happening. I just found myself through the course of the day just praying endlessly and relentlessly. And, you know, things flooding in and concerns for people and stuff happening. And I'm thinking about an elder whose, whose mother has passed. And, and the funeral is the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And it's in Phoenix. And I want to go and do that. And I'm thinking about their family. And I'm, I'm burdened by some of the issues in the city and some of the stuff relating to the nation and the state. And, and you know, considering the, the direction of the church. And uh, all these things just flooding. And my son, is he going to get... A an appointment. We're running out of time. Is today the day that he gets the rejection letter? And what are we going to do about it? If you ever had a day like that, where it's just like the, the, the file cabinet comes out and just comes flooding. And I'm, I'm in the midst of this. And, and each of those things, I'm thinking failure, 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 the voice of the condemnation, the enemy and battling this. And I just found myself saying, you know, Lord, help me, help me. And in the midst of it, one of the greatest struggles, and that's why I was really touched by the passage of Scripture where it talks about this idea of being torn asunder and, and being tormented and beaten, uh, stoned, but then it says and tempted, because the temptation in times of trial like that is to what? Anybody? Medicate, that's a good one, yeah. Quit and run is a really good one, like... California's lost. Let's get the heck out of Dodge. Let's go to Texas. 
Anybody? And, and you look, and, and we're in the thick of it right now. We're in a battle where, you know, they're talking about a sanctuary state. They're talking about sanctions on churches. They're, I mean, we're, we're in the midst of it right now. This is the hotbed of secular humanism, and we are aliens. Don't you want to go somewhere where you're received in a little friendlier environment, anybody? And you're wondering if you're making any inroads. I really wanted to go with Pastor Tony over to the, the CCA Pastors Conference. And if any of you have been tracking Calvary Chapel Association and the Calvary Chapel Global Network, CGN, there's been kind of a split since Chuck died. And when Chuck died, his son-in-law took over Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and all the assets and the property. And then the CCA, they just held together a fellowship and didn't have any assets. And the pastors have stayed together, but with all the wealth and everything of Calvary Costa Mesa and, and Brian Broderson, he breaks away and starts a group called CGN. And there's like tension in this. And we're kind of, you know, distanced from it and we're not affected by it. But Tony goes over to kind of get a read on it. And, and I'm looking, is, is Calvary Chapel going this direction? Are they going to go this direction? And I know what I'm doing, but... And, and I'm, that's a burden. And I found myself laboring in prayer because Pastor Don is part of the CCA. He's my pastor. I, 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 I want reconciliation. And in the midst of all that, where my heart was heavy, uh, Tony gives me a call. And there's a guy, his name's Alex Grenier. And none of you probably know Alex Grenier. I happen to know him. Alex Grenier has a, um, a website called calvarychapelabuse.com. And, and uh, his stepfather, Bob Grenier, was the pastor, or is the pastor, Calvary Chapel Visalia. And uh, Alex's brother accused Bob Grenier of, of abuse, uh, sexual abuse and physical abuse. And he denied it, and there was tension, and Alex sided with him, and there was a split, and he just decided to go after every Calvary Chapel pastor on the planet. And he was up in, I think, Idaho, and he's brilliant with computers, and he's got all these computers operating so that if he puts an article in, it pushes it in the Google search all the way to the top, and any Calvary Chapel pastor that gets their name in the news, right to the top. And so I, I, in 2014, I ran for the state assembly and I, I Google my name to see if I'm, you know, getting any traction and immediately Calvary Chapel abuse comes up and there's my name. I'm like, what in the world? How, who, who, and, and, and he's using my name and Calvary Chapel to bring attention to the issue he has with his stepdad and somehow I'm in on it. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And every Calvary Chapel pastor has to deal with it. And I called that guy up and I read him the riot act and he yelled back at me and I realized he's going to win, I'm going to lose. And that's, and the more I thought about it and I inquired about it, I realized he's kind of got a case here. And so I called him back and I said, look, Alex, I'm just calling back to apologize for yelling at you. You go ahead and keep my name up there. If I win this election, I win. If I lose, I lose. You keep it up there. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I don't even remember what I said, but I reached out to him and told him I was sorry and asked for his forgiveness. And he was touched. He said that no Calvary Chapel pastor had done that. He was really blessed by it. And Tony called me and he said that Alex Grenier was at the CCA event and he repented and told every pastor he was sorry. And he told Tony personally that that event that we had personally ministered to him and changed him. And you have no idea how intense that was in the Calvary Chapel movement. It's gone, gone on for how many years? Six years. And, and I'll tell you though, I wanted to kill the guy. And, and the discouragement when I entered in to want to do something good and all of a sudden, just by stepping forward, your name gets put at the top of a list and, and you're associated with something you had nothing to do with. That's public life. And it was, it just, you just, why bother? I, I, 
Kyle Jory puts my picture in with Mike Pence and Sean Spicer, and they put it on the Acorn Facebook. The, rea- the responses is, I, I, must have, I, I would have been better off being with the devil himself. And I'm, I'm looking at the response, and I just, I can't do this. I don't even do social media anymore. I don't tweet, Twitter, twerk. I don't do any of it. <laughs> and, and, and it's, you, you just want to quit. And that's Gideon. Gideon was looking at this, it's too much. It's daunting. It's overwhelming. Anybody feel that at times? Okay. Take heart. He was a man who who doubted God's word just like we do. He repeatedly asked for confirmation. I find myself doing that all the time. Let's look at Barak. In uh, Judges 4, he led the people of Israel in a dramatic victory over the Canaanites, but he hesitated and went forward only after Deborah encouraged him. He needed Deborah to say, you got to do this. And, and, and Deborah was the one who inspired him to do it. He, he wouldn't have done it without her. And I'll tell you what, there are days I'm not going to do anything unless Michelle's saying, go. And, and today I'm looking at her going, where are you getting this energy? This is the house that you've raised all the children for 16 years. You know, and, and Michael, when he was two years old, did a little smiley face on the baseboard and somebody painted over it. And I, you know, it just breaks your heart. And, and she's taken down the soccer pictures and, and this should be killing her. And she's just got eye of the tiger and she's moving through. And I'm, I'm in the bedroom. Just, I, I just want to die. And she's like the Deborah and, and I feel like the Barack. And, and, you know, go, do, go to church, go teach these folks, encourage them. So here I am. <laughs> Thank Deborah, i.e. Michelle. Samson, as we go through the list, it's, it speaks of Gideon, Barak, Samson. We've covered Samson, Judges 13 and 14. And he was used mighty, mightily of the Lord to defeat the Philistines. But think about this, and I've covered this before. There was nothing moral about that man's life. And, and really, his life is, is, a, is a history of, of tragedy and, and, and shortcoming and failure. And, and you look at this man, and can you imagine him having his eyes gouged out, his hair cut off, chained between two pillars as they're mocking him? And he's realizing as he's sitting there, and, 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 and really what he's saying to himself is, I deserve to be here. Any of you walk with the Lord and, and the stuff that's coming back is a result of your actions? And you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I can't be upset, I deserve this. I made, I made my bed, I might as well lie in it. Nobody's ever had that experience? I'm looking for honesty tonight. I'm, I'm bearing my soul. And by the way, when I'm asking the question, I'm already going to give you the answer. It's a yes on my end, if it makes you feel any better. And as, as he's between these pillars, I, I can imagine him just saying, why bother? But what does he do? He just said, Lord, make my life count, even in the last minute. And the scripture says, more Philistines died in Samson's death and died during his life. And each step of the way, what was he doing? You know, Judges 14.4, with the immoral, immorality of this man's life, Judges 14.4, the one thing that, that Samson did possess is a willingness to confront evil, even though evil confronted his own life. You know, think about David. David struggled as a father. Why? Because he wasn't a very good son. 
This is a man who had committed murder and committed adultery, and now he's raising kids, and he's trying to tell them, do this when he didn't. And, and a lot of us weren't raised in the church, and now we've become parents, and we're parenting our kids with Christian values and Christian principles when our life was anything but that. And you get to that place where you're going, well, I'm not so sure I can do this. Anybody have that struggle? You can. And yeah, Samson's life was a life of mistakes, but one of the amazing things about Samson is just, he kept pushing forward to confront evil. In his own personal life, it was falling apart. He spent an entire night in a prostitute's bed, not one night, but two nights, and then you, you know he breaks the bonds and the cords, and, and um, he, he, he gets in a gambling debt. He goes to marry a Philistine woman, which was prohibited by Levitical law. His parents beg him not to do it. But, but the secret of it is this, Judges 14.4. What his parents didn't realize is God sought an occasion to move against the Philistines. And, and, and I've said this oftentimes before, I, I, I don't know, but there's a strong likelihood, and I've said this to pastors as I've traveled the country, you know, when they declare they can't vote for an immoral candidate like Trump. And I tell them, I go, then take Samson out of the hall of faith. Because the one thing that was redemptive about Samson's life is he was real, willing to confront evil when God's people weren't, even though his whole life was a mess. I'll, I'll give you an example. Schindler, Oscar Schindler, you know, serial adulterer, unscrupulous businessman, deceptive and lying. And I, I can tell you a list of people that are grateful that he did what he did. He saved Jews. He lied to do it. And he saved them. And is his life perfect? No. Is Samson's life perfect? No. Was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life perfect? No. But what's the point? The point is this. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you can't do right. And even though you have a past... Bible says, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. You can always do the right thing, no matter how many bad things you've done. And Samson, God was seeking an occasion to confront or to move against the Philistines. Nobody else was doing it. They were too pious and moral. And more importantly, they were paralyzed by fear. And this guy wasn't. You know, I'll take, I'll take somebody like that. I'd like somebody that I, I know what I'm getting. I don't want somebody who's purporting themselves to be, you know, moral and holy and, and apathetic and fatalistic. That, that doesn't do anything for the church. I'll look at somebody who's got a track record of failure, and, but if they're trying and stumbling, I'll go with them any day of the week. The kingdom moves forward, not backwards. And this is the picture that you see because here's a man, he never lived up to his potential and his, his death was tragic, his life was tragic. And he ends up, you know, Delilah is, is the thing that does him in. And you can imagine at times he's no good for the world and he's no good for the kingdom of God. And God's people don't like what he's doing and, and, and the world doesn't like what he's doing. And he didn't have a friend on either side. And you want to talk about destitute and, and want to talk about struggling and then having your eyes gouged out and being mocked and ridiculed. And here, God puts him in the hall of faith. Now, 
Be mindful of that before we get so pietistic that we're not willing to look at people who are moving forward in the kingdom of God, it's a lot easier to look at people making inroads and sit back and judge them from the comfort of our seat. But the only way to transform a culture is to step into it. And when you step into it, you're going to get a little bit of it on you. William Wilberforce ended slavery in the British Empire 30 years before America did, and he had, he had an opium addiction. He's addicted to laudanum. Write him off. But I'll tell you what, there's millions of, of African slaves that are thankful for his efforts. The church dismissed him, save but for Newton, John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader. He was his pastor. The words were by John Newton. They say the melody is unknown. The melody is is an East African slave chant. It's one of the most beautiful songs, Amazing Grace, ever written. And and it was said that he would sing this in in the midst of all the barristers and all of Parliament when they were all drinking. And this was a man that was really into animals and, 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 and feeding the poor, and he struggled. He just struggled. And here's the exciting news, folks. God wants you to struggle because when you step into culture, you're going to be challenged. Barak stepped in. Jephthah stepped in. Gideon stepped in. Samson steps in. Jephthah's an interesting one. Uh, Judges 11. So Jephthah is, is the outsider. Nobody wants him. He's a bastard child. And, and now they realize this guy has been warring all of these external forces and the Jews want him back. The Israelites want him back. So they say, listen, will you come and serve with us? And, and he, he gives some conditions and they agree to him and he's successful. And, and he, he makes this vow, this commitment in Judges 11. And, and some say it's a rash vow, but he makes this commitment. He says, as I'm coming home from this victory, Lord, if you grant me victory, when I come home, whatever comes out to greet me, I will sacrifice to the Lord. And as he comes back to his house, his daughter comes out to greet him. And when you read that, and that's one of those Bible difficulties ones where you're going, wait a minute, how can God put him in the hall of faith with human sacrifice? Well, first of all, uh, the, the, the intonation in the Hebrew is, if it's an animal, I will sacrifice it. If it's a person, I will dedicate that person. Because what you see later is that his daughter goes away for, I think, two months to, to mourn her virginity or to bewail her virginity. Because really, what, what's happening is she's dedicated to the temple, similar to a Nazarite vow, where she's no longer able to marry. And he dedicates her to the Lord. And here's the sad part about it. The commitment he made was that was his only daughter. He's got no heirs. But he made that commitment and held to it. And, and this guy was intense, and talk about a guy who had every reason not to move against the enemies of God, not to transform culture, not to, to establish boundaries of, of a world that would be changed. It'd be Jephthah. God's people rejected him and called him a bastard child. God's people rejected him. And now he comes in and he, he transforms and they, they rely on him. And I got news. We, we become very pietistic as we sit in the comfort of the church and we bemoan and, and decry those that are stepping into the culture and making mistakes periodically. And we say, well, they're compromising or they're doing this or they're doing that, but they're doing something. And, and we sit back in the comfort and, and, and ridicule 
as opposed to step forward with them and engage in the process. And the the countless responses, and I'm going to go back to it, but the countless responses that I got from a number of things that we've engaged in, that people, I I got responses from people saying, pastors shouldn't be in politics. And yet, we made mistakes. There's things that we, we tried to grasp and understand and do. But each of these, this is the beauty of Jephthah. Everybody's going to make a mistake. Look at David. Here's another one. Uh, as the scripture goes on to speak of David, it says, uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also David. Remarkable man of faith, right? Yes? The lion of the tribe of, of Judah, the son of David. We covered this a little bit on Sunday. In both his, in Joseph's lineage and Mary's lineage, they come through the line of David. God picked this guy. Remarkable man. And he's an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. His son was so burdened by the absentee aspect of his father that Absalom was was crying out for his dad to discipline him. He would ride the chariot up and down in Jerusalem. It's like it's like taking a Ferrari in in Avalon Harbor. There's no road there. That's Jerusalem within the walls and this chariot. It didn't have anywhere to go. And he's just he's wanting his dad to say, Don't do that. Discipline me. Do something. And David would just hands off. And his and and one half brother rapes the half sister and uh, just awful awful and the other brother's so angry and the just discord in the family and david is a miserable dad and you're looking going wait a minute why is he in the hall of faith and why is he a man after god's own heart and in the midst of absalom's rebellion where david isn't doing anything and and absalom's upset because of the the dysfunction of the family he rebels against his own dad and and Ahithophel, David's most trusted counselor, it was said of Ahithophel that when he would speak, it'd be like the mouth of God himself speaking. And Ahithophel was a Gileanite, and he was actually, he actually converted to Judaism. And Ahithophel served David in his palace. And, and, and David trusted him. And it was said in the Psalms, we took sweet counsel together as we went to the temple. He looked at, he looked at Ahithophel as, as his dearest friend. And when the rebellion with Absalom occurs, Ahithophel sides with Absalom. And David's so burdened by that. And he knows it's over. If, if, if Absalom heeds the, the counsel of Ahithophel, we've lost. And, and, and he turns to, to his counselors and he says to one of them, I can't remember the other counselor's name, he says to him, go and thwart the counsel of Ahithophel. Whatever you do, just stop it. So this, this other counselor infiltrates Absalom's re- you know, re- realm and Ahithophel says, this is what we're going to do. We have to strike quickly because David is quick. Just give me a handful of men, we'll ride fast, he's old. I'll kill him myself, there won't be bloodshed. And he said, and declare war, immediately go up onto the rooftop of the temple. And I have to be careful because there's young kids here, but he, he violate all of David's concubines in, in, the, in the presence of all the people. And Absalom does this and, and uh, Ahithophel says, now let me take a handful of men and I'll go kill him myself. Well, this Hushai the archite, that's who it is. Hushai says to Absalom, no, 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 no. And he knows how to appeal to the pride of Absalom. Absalom had this flowing hair. He says, 
amass all the armies of Israel and you ride in the front of it and come into Jerusalem to conquer David. He's wild and he's, he's, he's already prepared. He'll annihilate Ahithophel. You don't want to do this. And if the rebellion fails, you'll be crushed. You want to assemble the army and ride in front of the army and your father will melt in your presence. And, and immediately Absalom can picture himself in front of this massive army with his hair and this white steed as he's riding. And he's just, he, it just envelops his pride. And he says, we're going to heed the counsel of Hushai the archite. At which point Ahithophel's angry. And Ahithophel, it says, he rides to his house. He puts his house in order, pays all the bills, does the mortgage payment, you know, feeds the dog, puts the cat out. And then the scripture says he hung himself. And you're like, wow, that's cold. And, and it was fascinating because the scripture says that God, God thwarted the counsel of Ahithophel. God allowed Hushai's counsel to be received by Absalom and he thwarted the wise counsel of Ahithophel. Ahithophel's counsel was exactly what Absalom should have done, but God stopped him. Now here's, let's just take a break here. God stopped the counsel of Ahithophel. Well, think about this for a minute. Who's Ahithophel? Ahithophel was David's most trusted counselor, his best friend. And as we look at the, the uh, D- David's mighty men, it says that Eliam was the grandson of Ahithophel. Eliam was one of David's mighty men. Eliam was the grandson, or excuse me, Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. And guess whose daughter was Eliam's daughter? Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the granddaughter of Ahithophel. So Ahithophel converts to Judaism. Ahithophel serves David all of his life. He's not upset. He's not feeling well, so it's okay. Chuck doesn't leave because he's angry at me. Ahithophel serves, converts to Judaism, serves David his whole life, gives him wise counsel, and what does he get in return? David commits adultery with his granddaughter, humiliates her because there's no secrets in a palace, and then murders Ahithophel's grandson-in-law by putting a hit on him. And, And Ahithophel did nothing but faithfully serve David. And here's the part that baffles me. God thwarted the counsel of Ahithophel. And I've always said with hyperbole, that God got the wrong guy. David was the murderer. David was the liar. David was the adulterer. Ahithophel was a faithful servant that got messed over by David. Why did God thwart his counsel and allow David to succeed? One thing. Ahithophel could never forgive David knew that mercy triumphs over judgment. David was a louse to be sure. But Ahithophel could never forgive. And God never tolerates the unforgiveness of his children. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And he was so bitter and so angry that Absalom wouldn't let him kill David himself that he hung himself. He wanted vengeance And the scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And David over here, just like everybody in the room, 
was a screw-up. But David understood mercy and forgiveness and grace. And God used him. You don't see Ahithophel's name in here, do you? You see David's name in here. He failed with Bathsheba. He failed with his own children. But I'll tell you what, God chose to have Jesus Christ's title, the son of David. I was laying in bed today and I'm asking myself, God, why do you want anything to do with me? I don't know if you've ever had a day like that. It may be a pity party. But I was just thinking to myself, you know, Lord, there's so many other people who could do this better. I just don't feel like I'm effective. I, and, it, and it's this battle that's going on. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm not asking you to blow sunshine my way or write me a letter. Don't. I'm giving you illustration. I've already processed it. God's faithful. Amen? I, thank you. I, I mean that. I'm doing fine. And it was just me and the Lord having this whole conversation. And, he, and, and this is all he kept telling me. Study for tonight. I don't want to, I want to call Brett and have someone else teach. No, you're, you're going to teach. I don't want to teach. I want to lay here. You're going to teach. Uh, plenty of folks could fill in for me. I don't feel well. I don't care. And as I open this up, I'm like, okay, I get it. Just put my name somewhere in there. Losers who have faith. And I knew I'd be with a group of plenty of them. Amen. This, this passage so blessed my soul today. And I wanted to do the same for you. And I'll tell you what, like with John and myself and others in the fellowship, we may be under the pile and you want to run. That's that temptation that the scripture says, because as you go through this picture with David and you go through all of this and you, and you look at each of the people that God has listed in this, this island of lost toys. And yet he declares it in a sense to be this hall of faith. I, I love this. It shows that the weak faith, it shows that weak faith is better than unbelief. And you don't have to be perfect to make it into God's hall of faith. Weak faith is better than unbelief. In the midst of all of my struggle, in the midst of all of my complaining, the one thing I realize is I'm talking to you, God, because I know you're there. And I know you're listening. You're not actually responding the way I would want you to, but I know you're listening. You're not actually doing what I'm, I would want you to do, but you're listening. And I know you're listening. And I know, and I hate this, but I know what you're doing is better than the plan I have, although I would probably disagree with you right now. And then you look at verses 33 through 35. Let's take a look at it. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And, and I'm thinking of miracle after miracle that I've had the privilege to witness in my life, especially with people of faith. I mean, you look at Dr. Scott Berman. That is a miracle. That's stage four cancer gone. I'm looking at, at, at Aaron Robinson, geoblastoma in his brain. He should be dead right now. He had two months to live. He's running a business right down there. That doesn't make any sense. And, and that Alex Grenier thing, to me, is one of the biggest miracles I could have ever have imagined. That man was as bitter as the day is long, and he was good at it. 
and for him to step in front of every Calvary Chapel pastor, do you know, do you know what a miracle that is? The humility that it took to do that? That's a work of God. When the scripture says subdued kingdoms, you can think of folks like David and Joshua and Asa and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and Josiah. All these folks subdued kingdoms, one by one. This picture where it says it uh, worked righteousness, <clears throat> Elijah, Elisha, uh, Josiah, they, they works of righteousness that God used them to accomplish. Obtain promises, Caleb, Gideon, Barak, stop the mouths of lions, think of David, Daniel, Benaniah, one of David's mighty men. Daniel in the lion's den, a perfect picture. This is a guy that was taken from his home, uh, probably castrated and and uh, family was killed before his very eyes and put into the service of a Babylonian king and remained faithful to the point where they threw him into a lion's den and, and the, the king was scared, but David was still there. And the lions, he's just like petting him. Miraculous. Quenched the, the violence of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as Evie Hill used to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. That, that was what he said, not me. But the idea is, you know, these guys, and when you hear Evie Hill's sermon on Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, phenomenal sermon. And speaking of these guys, the only thing that was burned when they were thrown into this fiery furnace were the cords that bound them. They didn't even smell like smoke. Escaped the edge of the sword. David did. Uh, he escaped the sword of Goliath, the sword of Saul. Moses escaped the sword of Sarah. Uh, excuse me, the sword of Pharaoh. And Elijah escaped the sword of Jezebel. Out of weakness, they were made strong. Think of Sarah, ninety years old, full weakness, doubting her her worth and her value. And along comes Isaac. Gideon, I'm I'm the least of the tribes. I'm the least. I'm the least. And God uses him. Abraham, Esther, King Hezekiah. They became valiant in battle. Again, there's David and King Asa and Jehoshaphat. And women who received their dead raised again to life. Uh, there's, there's a couple of mentions, two that fit the description. The widow of Zarephath, you can see that in the scriptures. And the Shumanite woman, whose, whose son was raised from the dead. Look at verse 35. Uh, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Uh, the word for sawn means with a wooden saw. That's kind of creepy. I think a metal saw would be a little more humane. They were tempted, which we've covered already, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, mountains, and dens, caves of the earth. Tortured means in, in the Greek that they were beat with a baton, exactly what you imagine. They were beaten. Uh, this idea of a better resurrection that we see in John five twenty nine, <clears throat> uh, theirs was a resurrection. Theirs is a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto condemnation. Uh, were these uh, these were these received the better resurrection? So so here we have this this picture that you know absent from the body, present with the Lord, and and you can imagine them just the the minute that I remember Don McClure talking about. Uh, how he lost the lower lobe of his lung and then he went blind in his his right eye. And uh, and he was talking about how he's struggling with this and how you know God had given him out of out of Acts twenty seven, uh, none of these things move me, but that I would finish the race. 
And he, you know, he just said, God, I'm, I'm, I don't count my life dear to myself. Let's do this. And he just, he finally got to this place where his back's out and his lungs gone and his eyeballs not working. And he's just saying, I, you know, when I said that I don't count my life dear to myself, I didn't think you're going to take it piece by piece. <laughs> you know, Lord, um, this is, I, I'm blind and I got questions for you. Why would you take my eye? Why would you take my lung? Why, why my back? And, and, you know, I, I look at Pastor Marty going from, from visitation to visitation and, and just keeping this body moving and, and, and with joy. And, you know, th- things start to ache the older you get. And he just keeps this thing rolling. And, and, and you look at it and you go, wow, you know. And with, with, uh, with, with David and, um, and oh, excuse me, with, with Paul, you know, when Don said, I don't count my life dear to myself, quoting the Apostle Paul, Don said, when I get to heaven, he said, I'm, I imagine when you get to heaven, you'll, you'll say, I've got questions for God. Why did he do this? And he goes, okay. It's over to the room to your left, and you get over there, and there's Isaiah. The scripture says in the, it, 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 that he was sawn asunder. So he's cut in half. So there's Isaiah sitting by, him, by his side, sitting next to himself. You know, Paul was beheaded, and there's Paul holding his head going, what do you need, Don? You know? And, and each of these folks that, you know, Peter crucified upside down, witnessing the death of his wife before his very... And, 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 and you got questions for, about your eyeball? And yet this testimony, this better resurrection, trials of mockings, Isaac endured the cruel mocking of Ishmael, Samson was mocked at the feast of the Philistines, chains and imprisonments. Joseph was cast into prison for telling the truth. His brother sold him into slavery. His, uh, Potiphar's wife lied about him. Ahab was imprisoned by, uh, imprisoned the prophet uh, Micah. They were stoned. Zechariah was stoned to death between the altar uh, Naboth was stoned to death by Jezebel. They were sawn in two, and according to tradition, that's what happened to Isaiah. They were tempted. And, and I, I think about this idea of the, the temptation again. It, the, the, a triumph over temptation is one of the greatest victories. And to remember the scripture says, no temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man. When you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. They were slain with the sword. Think about the 85 priests that were killed by Doag, the Edomite. And, and all because David came and, and took the sword of Goliath and lied to, to the high priest. And, and Doag comes in and he kills 85 priests. Uh, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins. Elijah wore that kind of clothing. Even John the Baptist later, of whom the world was not worthy. This idea that they're so, they're so precious that they almost don't deserve to be on this earth. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna close with this tonight, just, and then we'll answer some questions. But um, when it when it finishes in the passage where it says, verse thirty nine, all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And we follow in the footsteps of, of these faithful men and women, but we have a greater witness because Christ has already been crucified. They endured all this without ever having seen the crucifixion of Christ. They were trusting that it would occur. And, and they're living their life the best they knew how. 
And we have, as the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have the ability to make mistakes because his grace is sufficient. And we forget what is behind and we strive for what is ahead and there's no reason why we should be apathetic or fatalistic or paralyzed. Faith should move us as it moved these great men and women that we've studied the last four months. And, and, and you can find yourself in, in any narrative of any one of these folks, and especially tonight in this island of lost toys. And you just take a look at David, you take a look at Jephthah, you take a look at Samson. It doesn't take a lot. Gideon. And we're without excuse. This is to move us. Next week, we're going to take a look, and you read on your own, but in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, having so great a cloud of witnesses, there's now going to be an exhortation and a call to our lives. As we've invested four months of our life in understanding these men and women, there's going to come a price next week, so don't show up. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't show up. That's a joke, by the way. Some of you are going, wait, what? because there's a call on our life and next week we're going to receive it. You can receive it tonight by just reading it on your own. But I want everyone to know that, yeah, we're in a tough state. And yeah, we've got all kinds of demands, financial, physical, emotional. I just look around the room. I know some of the stories. I know. And you're looking at me and you know the stories. Keep moving. Be faithful. Better a little faith than a life of unbelief. And the failure is okay. Keep moving. Forget what's behind. Strive for what is ahead. Some days you're not going to get it right. Some days you're going to watch your wife go back and forth like Deborah say, go to church, and all you can do is lay in bed. But it's a good day. It's a good day. Because God is still faithful, and he's still my God, and he's still on the throne, and he's going to redeem the day.